All right. Well, welcome along to Hills. It is great to have you here. My name's Dave and I am a part of the team here uh, and it's just always a joy to be able to gather. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. You guys are the hard ones who come for the, uh, the meat because there's no time limit. <laughs> well, there is a little bit, but it's good. Um, we are... We've been in a series that we're calling Reset, and the reason we're in a series on Reset is because in light of everything that's happening in our culture at the moment with COVID and everything else going on, we were like, we need to pause and we need to focus on what matters to the heart of God, and what matters to the heart of God should matter to the heart of us, and as, as we sort of have worked our way through Hebrews, and we're pausing now in Hebrews 13, looking at this practical Christianity, we're drawing out these incredible values um, yeah, values of the heart of God and the things that we want to value as a church. And so we've looked at this idea of being a people who praise despite our predicament. We've looked at this idea of leadership, godly leadership, and being a people of prayer. We've looked at the importance and the power of the word. Uh, and we've looked at missions, getting outside the gates, going and being missional, sharing this incredible, amazing, powerful gospel, good news with the world and those who need it. And, um, and so today we come to a topic which is semi-treacherous ground, I suppose, in our culture. Um, for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about, we were going to do this in one message, but I got halfway through trying to prepare it and I started laughing. Like, There's no way we can cover this in one week. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to touch on some ground that we don't often talk about in the church but that needs to be talked about in the church. So there's a strong chance that over the next two weeks I may well offend everyone in the room. Uh, there's a chance that uh, some of you will be outraged, but my email is dave.shepherd <laughs> at hillsbaptist.com. Do you want me to repeat that? dave.shepherd at hillsbaptist.com. Welcome online. That applies to you too. Um, because to be honest, I am not here to please you. I'm not here to entertain you. Uh, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to please God. Uh, and I did not write this incredible word, um, but I have been called to teach and preach it. And I have to give an account to the one who did write it, and I'm much more afraid of him than I am of you. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that in mind, we are going to look at sex and money. Sex and money. It's, uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be exciting. Uh, some of you are very excited about that. Some of you are like, don't you dare make me turn to my neighbour and say those two foul words, David. <laughs> Please don't make me do that. And others of you are like, whoa, sex and money, preach it. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Uh, there's excitement about that. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to talk about sex. And uh, some of the young people in the room I just saw, <laughs> uh, you might want to go to kids' church. <laughs> and uh, some of the youth in the room or who aren't in the room, well, ring a friend, bring your friend, make sure that they're here because it's, uh, we're going to talk about some real stuff and it's going to be good. And so if you have a friend who needs to be here, needs to be here for that message, it would be wise of you to bring them along next week. But that means this week we're going to talk about money. And as we talk about money, again, some people, hands went straight in the pocket or arms went across. And so I feel very uncomfortable about talking about money, David. There's no place for money in the church. Why are you talking about that? And the reality is that when you read this, this text, 
God's Word, He's really vocal about money. He talks about money all the time and what we're supposed to do with our money. The problem is the church has gone one of two ways. Either we're very timid, particularly in the evangelical church, because we don't want to offend anyone because we know that money is a thing in our culture. So we're like, well, let's not talk about it. So that's not helpful because no one's hearing about it. Or we just completely abuse it and we talk about it way too much in all the wrong contexts. Uh, So still the people of God are lacking on the wisdom of God when it comes to money. And so what we need to do is we need to look at the word and we need to teach on money. We need to teach it well because we are living in a culture that is saying consume, 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 more, more, more. It's about give me money, give me money, give me money. The world is so loud when it comes to money. It's so loud when it comes to sex. It's so loud when it comes to power. You know, I've got a, a mentor who used to like, he's one of those guys who just loves the, you know, the hard question. <laughs> you know, those people, the first time you meet them, they're like, right, tell me about the deepest secret in your life. <laughs> and like, he would come up, the, like one of the first times I met with him, he goes, so what's your weakness, Dave? Is it girls, glory or gold? And I was like, well, okay, we're going to get deep. But this is what he's talking about is, is what John, you know, John calls the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Um, we need to talk about this stuff. We need, to, we need to have wisdom around this stuff because it's real. And it's a real battle. It's a real struggle in our world. And money particularly has a stranglehold on so many of us. And so we need to declare what it is that God is saying in relation to money. Amen? So with that said, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13, where we have been sitting for some time and just drawing out these great values. Today, we're going to look at verse 5 and 6, and then we'll draw some other scriptures around this space. And from verse 5, it says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content, someone say content, with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere men do to me? The topic, the title for note takers of this sermon is cultivating contentment. Cultivating contentment. Contentment doesn't come easy. It's not something that is natural to us. We are human. We are prone to folly and foolishness. It is something we have to grow It is something we have to develop. It's why Paul says, I have learned to be content. Now, if Paul has to learn it, then we have to learn it. We have to learn how to be content. We've got to cultivate contentment. And um, a couple of, last year, Joe and I and a few others from this church went on a conference and it was a conference where you have the money talk uh, every single session. And some of those money talks were fantastic before the preacher got up and preached and uh, One of those money talks in particular was anything but fantastic. Um, I remember we're sitting there and the the guy who was actually a well-known leader in this nation and he he had a wallet in his hand and in his wallet he had a 20 and he had a 50 and he had a 100 dollar notes, that is. And he, uh, he was talking about this passage. 
He's talking about keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And so he said, you know, you've got your wallet and in your wallet there's the 20 and your 20's like, pick me, pick me. And then there's the 100 and the 100's trying to creep down into the bottom of the wallet being like, don't pick me, don't pick me. And he goes, but, you know, we don't want to be lovers of money. We've got to be generous and pick up the 100 and give it to the Lord. Like he was just going on about this stuff. And Joe jo turned to me and she said to me this at the nine o'clock, she's like, thank you for censoring that. And uh, she sort of just sat there and she just, she just leant over to me and she said this, yuck. <laughs> and I was like, yes, <laughs> amen, yuck. Uh, it was just this, it was just this manipula- manipulatory conversation around money. And what the guy didn't realise he was doing is actually he was being the lover of money in the presentation. And this is what we found in the church, that either the church is silent or the church is being the very lover of money that the author of Hebrews and, the, and Paul and Timothy is saying, don't be that. Don't be that person. You know, don't be like Paul warns against, one of those people who sees godliness as, as a, an opportunity to gain riches. He's like, no, that's not what it's about. So what do we learn? How do we cultivate contentment? What is the Bible saying? Here's the first thing. When it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. That Greek word there for love of money is the Greek word philagoria. Philagoria. And here's what it can also be translated to avarice. And if you don't know what avarice means, basically greed. Keep your lives free from greed. It sounds real similar again to Paul in 1 Timothy, doesn't it? When he says the love of money, same Greek word, is the root of all kinds of evil. And here's what I want us to catch right off of the bat, straight away. If you're not listening, listen right now. It doesn't say keep your lives free from money. It doesn't say that money is the root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that. There is nothing wrong with having resource. There is nothing wrong with having money. There's actually nothing wrong with being wealthy and successful. There's nothing wrong with that. The issue is the love of money. The issue is when money exceeds our affection for Christ. When money becomes, we're hoarding, hoarding, I need more, I need more, I need more, and The call of God is pushed to the side on account of our need for resource. And we see this all through Scripture. This is what what Jesus rebukes the rich young ruler about. You know, when the rich young ruler comes to Christ, he's like, he's passionate about Jesus. He's like, oh, I've done all these things. I've obeyed. I've, you know, I've been following your, your laws. What more must I do? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and come follow me. And the guy's like, it says that he turned away and he was saddened because he had great wealth. Now in that moment, Jesus is not condemning him for having resource, for having money. What he's doing is he's testing the heart. He's saying, all right, you've got a whole heap of wealth. Let me just see where your heart's at. If you can get rid of that that money, follow me, then, then your heart's in the right spot. Because you understand something. You understand that I am the one who will meet and provide all of your needs. And if you can't get rid of it, then what you're showing is that your faith in finance is greater than your faith in God. 
And what we see with this young man is that his need for abundance was greater than his heart for obedience. The need for abundance was greater than the heart for obedience. And this is, this is what this text is talking about, the heart issue. The love of money is the, the heart issue. Where is my heart at? Where's my trust? This is why God hates the love of money. This is why he says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because he understands that fundamentally the love of money is actually the trusting of money over the trusting of God and who he is and his promises and his character and his nature. And so he says, don't be like that, but be content. Be content with what I have given you, with the abundance that I have given you. Do you trust me more than you trust the success of your own hands? And so it says, flee from the love of money and be content, be content. But here's the really interesting thing is that it is difficult to do this isn't it? Why? Because we're human. Because we live in a world that's throwing this stuff down our throats, left, right, and center. You know, we are nine hours, or now 11 hours, into the new week. And I guarantee you that in one way, shape, or form, every single one of us have thought about money, sex, or power. You know, these three things are the things that just are hitting us over and over and over again. Money is this constant push of our culture. So how do we learn to be content? How do we not fall into this trap of the love of money, of philagoria? How do we avoid that? How do we be content? And isn't it good that God gives us answers in his word? Like we could just go away laboring and think, how do I do that? That's difficult. Or we could read and obey. So let's do that. That seems like a good idea, doesn't it? How do we cultivate contentment? Here's the first thing I want us to see. He says, be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. We're going to talk about the seed, the root and the fruit of contentment. The seed of contentment, first and foremost, are the promises of God. We talked about how the Word is seed. When the Word of God gets into us, it's a seed. It's a seed that's planted in soil and in good soil and it can then take root. And so the the seed of contentment are the promises of God. I'm going to just throw a few at you. And I could seriously be here for 45 minutes speaking of the promises of God's provision for His people. Here's the first one. It's that beautiful passage in Luke chapter 12 when He's talking about worry. He's like, why are you worrying about stuff? Look at the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. Don't I clothe them? How much more am I going to clothe you? That is a promise from God. And yet we're like, well, yeah, but I'm not sure about it, Lord. Like, that's his promise. Do we trust his promise? Let the seed go in. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says, test me in this. How amazing that God would invite us to test him with his provision and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. 
Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. Proverbs 11, 24, 25, One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. The promise of God is that he is a good God who provides for his people. That he knows what we need. He sees us where we're at and he will provide. There is no manipulation needed here. There is no fancy swanky talks needed here to challenge the heart of a people or coerce us into giving. This is the promise of God which should take root in our lives. And if we're sitting with the promise of God, if we're sitting with the seed, if we're allowing that seed to enter, then it will do something. It will take root. And when it takes root, it brings about a revelation of the nature of God. And so the seed is the word, but the root is God's own character. Because that is what's made manifest in our lives. And so it goes from a promise to a reality. It goes to this genuine reality that is alive within us. And this is who God is, that God is a generous God. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only son. Love leads to generosity. Love leads to generosity. When you love something, you invest in that thing. You give to that thing. And God loved the world, so he gave to the world. He is a generous God. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. Someone say, Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to, due to change. God's not changing. We've already heard that in the last couple of weeks. He is who He is. He will be who He will be. And He is our Father. And He is our Father who knows how to give good gifts. He gives good gifts. He's not going to throw us a serpent. That's what the Bible says. Right? He's not in it just to trick us and and you know, play games with us. He is a good father. And he, if, if we know and believe that he is a good father who loves his children, how much more do we know that he will provide for those that he loves? And so we see when the seed, the promise goes in and it takes root and the revelation of who God is in what he has done for us, how much he loves us, his affection for us, his incredibly gracious wonderful gift. There should be no need for manipulation or coercion in giving. Everything flows out of a revelation of who he is and what he has done for us. And so we see that we, there's fruit, the seed of the promise, the root of who he is, his very character leads to fruit. And what is that fruit? The fruit is wise stewardship. Wise stewardship. And we could, like, we could talk about wise stewardship for a long time. <laughs> and I'm not standing here as someone with a finance degree. I'm not standing here as someone who's like, I made my first million at 21. You know, trying to, like, these are your 10 steps to success. No, that's not what this is about. 
I'm just a boy standing in front of his... <laughs> where... We're in this journey together of what does it look like to be wise stewards. And here's the first thing I want us to catch, wise stewards. Um, sorry, let me pause and let me retract. You see in verse 6 here when it says, so we say with confidence, just so you know it was scriptural, the Lord is my helper. So when we're talking about that root, we're talking about the character and the nature of God. It says it right here. There's the seed. That's the promise. And so we say with confidence, the confidence flows out of the promise that the Lord is my helper. And because the Lord is my helper, I can trust Him. I can trust Him when He says, follow me. When He says, come. When He says, you know, He invites us to be generous. He invites us to give. He invites us maybe in seasons to store up. Whatever it is that He's calling us to, we can trust Him instead of trusting the words of the world. Instead of trusting the currents of our culture. Instead of trusting in the doom and gloom reports of the finance markets. No, we trust in God. And we trust in His promise and we don't allow what that person over there is saying or that expert over there is saying to inhibit us from obedience. We're called to obedience because we know that He is good, because the Lord is my helper. So within that, wise stewardship, here's the first thing. That I, just want to, I just want to pick up two things. The first thing is this, live within your means. Live within your means. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now, I, I know that I'm particularly talking to my generation right now. All right? Live within your means. Here's what my generation wants to do. We see what mum and dad have, and we're like, I want that now. I want the leather couch. I want the recliner. I forgot that thing again, the, the chase. Again, that no one sits on. It's just there. It's a chase. It's like a bed that's not a bed. It's a couch bed. <laughs> People sort of come over to your house and they're like, oh, do I sit there? And it's kind of this awkward back really straight, just sit on it thing as everyone else is reclining. But we want it. Why do we want it? Because mum and dad have it. We want everything that everyone, and we forget the fact that mum and dad worked for 30 years to get to where they've got to. You know, they've scringed and saved. They've been diligent. They've, they've lived within their means. They've sacrificed to provide later on in life. And my generation, we're like, we leave high school, like, well, I want that. I want the four-bedroom, two-bathroom house. In fact, I want, three, I want three bathrooms. There's only one person living in the house, but gee, it's good. <laughs> and we want everything now. Why? Because our culture's saying, you deserve it. It's yours. Go and get it. You know, here's a loan. Go into exorbitant debt for the sake of living your now. Live your best life. You know, all this, you're just like, live within your means. God has provided. You don't need the couch and the chase. My mum and dad, they said this to me when we first got married. They're like, David, you don't need that table or those chairs. We sat around a card table with fold-out deck chairs. We did that for one year. And then we saved and then we bought our table. I'm like, yeah, but I want it now. <laughs> Live within your means. And here's what living in, within your means enables. It enables the greatest fruit that comes from the revelation of who God is. It enables us to be joyfully generous. To be joyfully generous, which is what we are called to be. Because when the fruit takes when the seed takes root, it produces the fruit of generosity. 
when we know who God is, when we know how, how He is a loving Father who provides for us and meets every need, not necessarily every want, but He meets all of our needs, when we know that's who He is, then we cannot help but have the overflow and the abundance of His generosity towards us. We give because God first gave to us. We love because God first loved us. And as I said, the evidence of love is generosity. It's giving to that which we love. And so we see this amazing gift of God that illuminates our souls and, and it results in not just generosity, but joyful generosity. Joyful generosity. Let me, let me take you to 2 Corinthians because this is, this is so good. This is known as one of the great passages on finance in all of Scripture. And really interestingly, this letter is kind of like a makeup letter. If you know Paul and the church of Corinth, the first letter to the church of Corinth, Paul's upset. <laughs> They've been naughty. And Paul's a little bit upset. And so there's this whole sort of stuff going on and he's really rebuking him pretty hard. And the second one, it's he's kind of this makeup letter. But even in the makeup letter, there's two chapters devoted to how we're supposed to deal with money. It means money's important. It's important now and it was important back then. It's an issue that we're so easily drawn into. And here's what he says from verse 6. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he says, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we know who God is, there is we shouldn't need someone up there trying to you know, talk about the 20, the 50 and the 100 to manipulate us into the giving. No, that's rubbish. God, you're good. If you call me to give, I'll obey because I know you're going to meet my need. You're going to provide for me. If you don't call me to give to that, I won't. I'll give where he calls me to give because our God is a good God and he loves a cheerful giver, joyful generosity. And then he goes on and he says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. How good is that? Our God is able. That's who he is. That we'll have everything we need and we would abound in good work. Abound, abound, over and above. Generosity flowing out. They have free, as it, as it is written, they being us, have freely scattered their gift to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he being God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest. And this is where some churches stop. They're like, he'll enlarge your harvest. Come on, if you give you'll get. And they start preaching about, he's going to enlarge the harvest. He's going to bring this into your life and that into your life and that into your life. And we start thinking, yes, I do want my bank account to grow. And yes, I do want a BMW. Therefore, I better give so that I get. It's completely the wrong heart. That's the love of money. Because the motive is, well, if I give, then I'll, then I'll get. 
The motive should never be that. The motive is contentment. The motive is, oh my goodness, look what God's given me. I'm going to give it away. Can you see the difference? The two are, they're very, very different. When we see the revelation of who every offering talk should be like, look at Jesus. Look what God's done for you. And you're just like, oh, wow, quick. (laughs) Yeah. Because it doesn't finish there. It says, the harvest of your righteousness. As generosity flows forth, as we catch that, we catch the heart of God and we grow in Christ-likeness. It's in the joyful generosity that the Spirit of God is like going, yes, you're getting it. I'm working on who you are. I'm turning you more into the likeness of the one. We are being sanctified. It grows the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. We're enriched so that we can be generous, not so we can store up unto ourselves. We're enriched so we can be generous. And through us, your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. Yeah, wow, the purpose of God's generosity to us and our generosity is not so we can build our kingdom or our own castle. No, it's so that the kingdom of God is built. The kingdom of God extends so that, so that thanksgiving is given to God so that someone opens an envelope when they're in times of trouble and they, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing so they can't give glory to anyone but God. Like, God, thank you for the provision and you just get to be there like, yes, thank you, Jesus. You used me to bless that person. They have no idea. And it's so good. It's so good to be able to do that. That's the heart of God and they're giving thanksgiving to God. And they then, flow. Let me, oh, I've got to show you something. Can you help me, Benny? I want you to see this. I want you to see this practically. Because this is, this is where this idea of tithing comes in, right? This is where this idea of tithing comes in. And some of you are like, Dave, we're under grace, not under law. The tithe is part of the law. I'm like, yeah, it is a part of the law, but it's actually pre-law. Because Abraham gave a tenth of all he had to Melchizedek as a, a way of honouring him. Jacob gave a tenth of all he had to, to God. Promise God, and what you've done for me, I'm going to pour out a tenth. So it's not, it's not just one of those commandments that you like, well, you have to do this in order to obtain righteousness, which is what that, you know, the Levitical law is about. No, this is about the law of God's heart made manifest in us. And when we catch that, we're like, the tenth just flows. The tenth flows, right? Like no one sits there and goes, you know, well, I'm under grace and not under law, so I will, I will not, therefore, not covet my neighbor's wife. Are you with me? You're awfully quiet just then. The double knot, the double knot might have got you, yeah. No one does that. No one's like, you know, well, I'm, I, I'm under grace, therefore I shall murder. No, like God gives, God puts laws in place because they're good for us. Are you with me? There's certain things that he goes, hey, do this. Not because this is what's going to earn your righteousness, because you're under grace, but gee, it's going to be good for you because I'm a good father and I know what's good for you. And I know what's good for the kingdom. And tithing is one of these things that when we catch the revelation, go, oh, okay, I get it. And let me show you why. You see, God says, 
I've given you 10 apples. This is everything you have, 10 apples. How blessed are you? And what I want you to do is I want you to bring one of those apples and lay it at my feet. Bring one, just, there's 10. Just bring one of these things and lay it at my feet. Now, here's what I, this is what I learned this week and it blew my mind. Not once in Scripture can I find anywhere where it says, give the tithe. It says, bring the tithe. Bring the tithe. What does that imply? I don't, if I leave a jumper at Ben's house, I'm not going to say, hey, mate, can you give the jumper from, my jumper from your house to me? And I say, can you bring me my jumper? Because it's, the whole point is it's not ours to give, it's God's for us to bring. God says, I've, I've entrusted you with 10, now this is mine. So you bring it to me. You bring it, it's mine. It's not even yours. This is not even in the budget. It's his. And our job, joyfully, because he's given us 10, which we didn't deserve, <laughs> We don't deserve any of this. Like we could easily just be raptured human beings on the side of the road and God's put us here. You're in this chair, wearing what you're wearing, living in the house you're living, having the breath in your lungs and the strength in your legs because God has ordained it so that you would be able to do that. Everything is His. And He says, I just want you to bring me one back. And all of this, you know, you're gonna, you can consume, you can use as seems best you use it but this this is mine why why is this mine because something happens you see we when we consume stuff it's here today and it's gone tomorrow we build houses so that someone else can live in them at some point in time you know we we build up bank accounts so that that someone else can spend it at some point in time all of this is consumed and used and gone you know all of this is just the dust of the earth it's here today and gone tomorrow but this this is different. This is, Jolly, you want to come and hold this for me, mate? <laughs> he almost did it. All right. You don't trust me, do you, Joel? That's the problem. Watch this, watch this. You see, there's something in the tithe. There's something in when it's in God's hands. I don't know if you can see this. What's that? Oh, that's a seed. That's a seed. And you see, this is consumed and gone, but this, this has a seed in it. This becomes the very seed which God plants. This isn't gone tomorrow. This brings about a harvest of righteousness. This brings about kingdom, eternal, glorious growth. This, this is putting back that which God has put in our hands for his glory, for his kingdom. And it's saying, you are the good God. And out of it comes the abundance of life. You see, this is gone. This is in God's hands. And he may well choose out of the harvest. It could be tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. Who knows what harvest and bounty God brings out of this? Not just to give back unto us that we can continue giving to him as the cycle continues, but so that those who are blessed will grow theirs and they can start giving and they can start sharing. And before you know it, there's apples everywhere. 
there's a whole orchard of apples and then an orchard from an orchard and then another orchard from an orchard because we chose not to hoard that which was given to us unto ourselves because we chose not to love money, but we chose to be content. Contentment. Saying, yes, God, I'm so blessed, therefore have yours. And not just, it'll get to this point where I bring the tithe, but then on top of that is joyful generosity. On top of that is, do you know what? I don't need that coffee this week, but that person does. On top of that is, I don't need to buy that car. I could buy a different car and I could use that. And man, I could bless that person in their situation because they don't even have a car. And the kingdom of God grows because all of this is seed in the hands of a sower. All of this is seed in the hands of the one who makes all things good, who makes everything grow. And so the heart of God and the heart of the church, this, you know, I'm never going to stand up here and say, you must tithe and you must give. Never. Because it's not my job to do that. That is about between you and God. It's said, give as the Lord. What did it say? Let's read it. We don't want to misquote scripture. That's dangerous. It says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But let me tell you something, when the seed takes root and you catch a vision of who he is, oh my gosh, this is joyful. <laughs> it is such a joy. It is such a joy. It is such a joy. So we tithe, we give, we're generous, not out of compulsion. But I know that the one who calls me is faithful. When Jesus says, if he says, sell everything, if he says that, sell everything you have and come follow me, I know that he is faithful. And if, he's, if there's something I even really want to give to, and he says, I don't want you to give to that. I'm like, oh, but Lord, that's going to make me feel good. And he says, no, I know that he is faithful. It's about obedience. And obedience flows out of a heart that knows who he is. And from that obedience, God will bring abundance. God will bring abundance. God will supply all of our needs that we might be content living within our means and being joyfully generous out of the abundance that he has given. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Band, you can come up. And let's take a moment just to worship our great God and thank him for his generosity to us. Loving Heavenly Father, we just take a moment right now to give you praise. We thank you that you are our Father. You know what we need. The Word says that you give good gifts. You give good gifts. The Word says that you supply all of our needs. The Word says that you are our provider. The Word over and over and over again affirms that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And we just give you praise in this place because of that. 
And Father, my great prayer for each and every one of us is that that word would take root in our souls. Let it take root. Even now as we're talking, Lord, let it take root. And by the power of your spirit, would you bring it to life in us that we might be a generous people, that we might rejoice in generosity, not hoarding resource unto ourselves, not being lovers of money, but being content. being content because wow the resource of heaven (laughs) the resource of heaven is right there waiting to bless those who would be content in obedience we love you Lord we give you praise for your goodness to us So may we go out and be a joyfully generous people bringing to you what is yours that you might grow the harvest of righteousness in our lives, in this church, in the Adelaide Hills, in the city of Adelaide, in the state of South Australia, in the nation of Australia and right across this world. May there be kingdom impact from the small seed that you plant in our souls. We thank you, Lord. We give you honour, glory and praise. And all God's children said, Amen. Let's worship our great God. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.